As we have discovered today, folks, we are talking to the person known as Little Anthony. Little Anthony, it seems kind of odd to call you Little Anthony at this point in your life, but uh, (laughs) how about if I call you Anthony? Well, Well, that's good. No, nobody calls me Little Anthony. Uh, uh, This Anthony. Um, You know, it's not not about my stature, how big I am, because I'm actually around five, eight and a half. I think when you get older, you're supposed to get shorter, right? I can't, I don't know what I am now, but I'm not, I'm not considered actually little. That's just a tag, a name, and I can explain that later on, how that happened. Well, let's start with, first of all, I am just absolutely delighted to have you on the program today, and I'd like to start with your beginnings, where you were born. I think Brooklyn kind of rings a bell. Does it ring a bell for you? <laughs> what? It rings a bell? And I spent most of my life in Brooklyn, um, at least my, my young life. Uh, and, but actually, I was born, I was told by my mother, on 98th Street and Central Park West in New York City. Okay. But I only stayed there a minute, and I moved. It was during the war, I was told. My dad, my dad Thomas, was, uh, he got a job in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, and, that's, and he moved the family to Brooklyn. And uh, I think I was about two years old or a year or something like that, and then I lived in Brooklyn for a very long time after. And what part of Brooklyn, New York, did you live in? Well, you know, if you're familiar, I know a lot of people are transplants, and wherever you go, you find somebody who's from Brooklyn. <laughs> I lived on I lived Fort Green Projects, um, right next to Marcy Projects, where Jay-Z comes from, off Myrtle Avenue and Flatbush. Okay. Flatbush Avenue, the famous Flatbush Avenue. Gotcha. So... Well, tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about what life was like as you were growing up in the Fort Greene projects. I don't know that folks today really know what that world was like for you. Well, the funniest thing is I had a great support system. I had my, my aunts who lived in Harlem, my Aunt Bessie, Aunt Sarah, Aunt Shorty, as my mom's sisters, and my mother, my mother, my father, my Aunt Naomi. It was like, you know, in fact, in those days, Everybody usually, families usually live in the same area. Mm. Today, families are like nuclear. They're all over the place. Like, right. I got a son in Seattle. I got a daughter in New York City. I got another daughter in North Orlando, Florida. But in those days, everybody basically lived in the same block. And there's a whole story about that, how, how that became. Uh, and, and, and then now, as the modern times came, it, families kind of split up and were a bit different than it was in those days. So. But, it was pretty cool. It was, and then I didn't, you know, it, I was, I was, people ask, oh, you lived in the projects. Well, at that time, the projects were government-owned. They were not city-owned. Okay. So they, had, they didn't become the hood yet. I <laughs> got you. And it was, so it was, it was pre-hood pretty, days. It was culturally mixed. <laughs> okay. hmm? It was culturally, it was pre-hood days. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was culturally mixed because everybody that was in that project that was supplied by the United States government worked at the in the Brooklyn Navy Yard in one capacity or another. So uh, there were Italians, there was Jews, there was Irish, you name it, man. Everybody's all over the place. In fact, I found somebody sent me a picture of a, a picture of all the kids took a big picture in Fort Greene where I used to live in uh, 146 North Elliott Walk. 
And it was just amazing looking at all the different cultures, all the different people. But, you know, after the city took it over, then it predominantly became more Puerto Rican, black, Puerto Rican, that kind of thing. You know, it's it's interesting that you make that point, because so many times when we hear the word projects, we automatically think African-American, Latino, period, end of story. Uh, so it's interesting to hear that when you were living in the projects, it was really, it sounds like to accommodate the workplace so that folks were close That's to work. Works. Yeah, that's what it was. It was culturally diverse, and, you know, so everybody worked there. In fact, um, I, I can remember my friends. Uh, one of them was Bobby Fasano, Italian kid. He used to live upstairs, and little Tommy used to live under me. He was a Jewish kid. And then, uh, let me see, I can't remember how old it was, so many of them. And so, you know, we, if you're not that age, you don't know, yeah. you don't have anything, that any reference to say, hey, I'm not supposed to be here. You know, everybody right. that I knew were my friends. And we ate each other's house and all that stuff. And after the war, that entirely changed. And slowly, yeah. it became the hood. You know, so and, and, at that time, I was just about getting ready to, you know, I was in my teenage age, uh, sort of like 14, 15 years old. And I was going to uh, Boys High, one of the most prolific schools in, in the state, actually. And um, I was going there. And and so then then it began. You could see the change begin at that point. Now, before you got to Boys High, and and Boys High certainly was very well known. It's still in Brooklyn. You mm-hmm. talked about your early years being very much involved with with music and just kind of that that was almost your best friend it sounds like in fact at at, at one point in in a book that's recently been released about your little anthony my journey my destiny you say that you made friends with your voice what did you mean by that well you know i had a great imagination i still do <laughs> i mean my mother used to say I don't know. She used to tell my aunt, I don't know about that boy. It's strange. He'd be in the room, <laughs> and, and and it sounded like there's three or four people in there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I had my imaginary friends. I had my singing friends. Uh, the perfect music. Here's another thing. And since you said that, now my brain is working. I'm thinking about it. Um, it also was a way for me to, to connect with people that I normally probably wouldn't because uh-huh. I was a homely-looking kid. I mean, it was, I wasn't the kind of kid that was... You know, popular, oh, handsome he is, and all of that. No, I was pretty homely and, and very shy, okay. and and an introvert. And so, music. When I found when I would sing, people would listen, and I would become, you know, a, a point of, uh, of of interest. And I, that kind of that kind of turned me on, you know. So, music is just it's a partner. It's all, it, it, and it's gift. It's not, it's not something that I. Created. It is a gift from God. It is a special gift. Many people ask me, ask me, hey, man, you're like 74 years old, man, and you sound like you're 16, 17 years old when you sing. I said, let me tell you something. <laughs> My singing is not natural. It's supernatural. Believe me, I don't mm-hmm. even know I do the things I do with my voice. <laughs> it reminds me with um, when Michael Jordan was playing for the championship against Indiana. And so many years ago, back in the nineties, mm-hmm. early nineties, and he they they, they triple feed him, they literally covered him, and he, and he went back. They had like three to four seconds to go, and he fell back off his back heel and threw the ball up. Ball goes in the hoop, you know, <laughs> and he raises his head like, 
how did I do that? <laughs> it's the same. It's the same. It's the same with me. I, 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 you know, it's no way I'm supposed to sing like this. In my younger life. I was a bit of a rascal, as you read that book. I mean, uh, I was a kid. Yeah, actually, I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. We're actually going to take a break now, but when we come back, mm-hmm. I want to talk to you a little bit about that, that early life, because you were more than a little bit of a rascal. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so that's where we'll go when we come back from the break. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk clearly having a lively conversation with the person that you may recognize as little Anthony, Jerome Anthony Gordine. We'll be right back. If we could start anew, I wouldn't hesitate. I'd gladly take you back and tempt the hand of fate. Tears on my pillow, pain in my heart. Anthony, you were very young as you hit the stage and and became really quite quite the success. How would you say that impacted on your sense of self, your growing up? Well, you know, actually, you know, when you're a kid and you're coming up, and then you're coming up in a situation where, you know, all of a sudden your environment changes. And then all of a sudden there's gangs. In order to have some sense of belonging, you wanted to be like the guys, so you join the gang. And you find out this gang doesn't like that gang, and on and on and on. It's like today, man. Drive-by shootings haven't changed much because we didn't have any cars then. Nobody could afford one even drive-by. But people did some tough things. It was tough. Well, let me ask you this. uh, I had to learn to live in that environment. Let me ask you this. But, like, again, I had that support system. My, My mom... And my dad, I had family. And they constantly, everyone constantly was on my case. And you understand, somebody once said, it takes a village to raise a child. Yes. Well, even in those days, our neighbors, man, it was neighbors, man, real neighbors mm-hmm. that looked out for each other. Mm-hmm. And they, if, 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 my, if I did something and I was caught doing it, they said, I'm going to tell your mother. And then they would take me by the hand and bring me back to my mom. Or they even had the authority to pop me. You know what I'm saying? It was like then I go home and get popped. You know, it was it's something else. So I think all of that, all those situations, helped me to 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 get through this minefield called life at that time. And I never, I never felt sorry for myself. No, because my people always instilled in me that there was somebody, there was something special. Mom Bessie especially put that in me. That's why it's so important to be raised in families. I mm. have a great respect for mm-hmm. single parents and having to raise their children. And believe me, that ain't easy. But it, the, when you have the nucleus of the family that's together, that is a, that is a, that is a reflection of what society is going to be. If the family breaks down, then society is going to break down. So I had a lot of people around me that gave me enough uh, information to get me through. A lot of my friends didn't make it. A lot of them did. Yeah. Got shot, got killed, something, you know, uh, drugged out, whatever it may be. And and then here I am. And and that's because of the family and because there's, I'm a faith person. Mm-hmm. I came up in the church. I don't know too many black singers that didn't come up in the church. You know what I mean? Indeed. I thought we were fighting about that. We were laughing about that once. So we we go in in the dark and we get out of church and it's dark. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> see, you know, and, you know, so 
important for all of us. That it gave us something we needed. And and so I, I you know, I don't ever feel, oh, poor me, look what I went through, yeah. you know? Yeah. No. I mean, we didn't have a whole lot of money, but I didn't know we didn't have any money. Yeah. I didn't know. You know, I, we would go on boat rides. I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. My aunt would take me uh, on the, we call it a, day, a day trip mm-hmm. up the Hudson River, all the way up to Poughkeepsie or Bear Mountain, and then come back. Course, beautiful. When we went, they had food. Oh, my goodness. My aunt <laughs> put together all that food, and I loved it, man. I mean, we just we didn't do anything without food. Me... We go to the baseball game. We have chicken. Uh, we have potato salad. <laughs> there was one yeah. point, you know, there, there's this concept that the the kids who wind up in gangs are kids who come from dysfunctional households, single parent families, and there's just nothing to go home to, and that's why they wind up in a gang. But you came from a loving family, an intact family, and you were in a gang for a minute or two. What wisdom can you share about why you, as a child, made that choice? Well, you got to say that's another era. Mm-hmm. There was no cell phones, there was no internet, there wasn't nothing but where you were. And so it's a different era. Uh-huh. Um, it, it was almost expected that you would, you know, get into the gang. I see. Today it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. They really literally get into gangs to have a family because they don't have a family. I got in the gang because that's what you did. Okay. I mean, it, 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 in the neighborhood, it was always that kind of a thing going on. My brother, Sonny, my oldest brother, started a gang called the Royales. Then they became the chaplains. And then my brother Elliot was in the gang. My brother Donald was in the gang, and they grew up in this Africa, played the gangs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then here I am in the neighborhood expected to do the same thing. And then also, remember, even though I had that big support system, I still had to go out in the world. That's I true. still had to become, have friends. That's true. And everybody that I had was a friend was in some sort of a gang. So it was almost expected. Like I said, it's a different environment. We, you know, it, it, like even then, uh, we didn't. It, there's a, there was a thing we used to call a fair one, when the gangs would come. I mean, actually fight mm-hmm. with hands, bottle, anything. But there was never no killing, shooting. Uh-huh. That was a rare, rare, rare thing to happen. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. And it was very, very rare. Not like and, today. And uh, so, yeah, it, it was very, very rare. So it's um, and um, and so I I, I couldn't. Um, I couldn't compare that to today. Today is different. Yeah. It's really, really different. And scary. It's almost a cultural, a cultural. Um, uh, I, I can't put my finger on it, and I don't. I don't want to act like I'm an expert. Sure. I am not. Um, but what I see and observe is something bitter. Something is more bitter about about what's going on yeah. today than it was when I was a kid. Yeah. You're right. I mean, we didn't. We, it was almost like a social club when I was a kid. That's what it sounds like. And if you got into yeah. some kind of fight or battle, or usually with fist, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or <laughs> some kid would, <clears throat> but that's what we did. The day, they come in with AK-47s, exactly. man. Exactly. You know? I mean, this is some serious stuff here. This is true. It's like, I'm going to kill you a hundred times over. And they that's do. hate. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think we had that in us. We had more of a territorial thing. Okay. We were, it wasn't about drugs. We weren't selling drugs on the street. None of that stuff I remembered. 
but we drink it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Drinking wine and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, a, it's all totally a different It's a situation. totally different world. Let me ask you this. You, when you had your first child, fast forward from the that period of your life, you had a child, and you were a child. How old were you at the birth of your first child? My first child was, um, how old was I? 19? So you were a baby. And my wife, yeah, yeah, Judy was out of the baby. We were children having children, mm-hmm. you know, while. Uh, Judy, my, my my wife at that time, she was 18. And actually, I met her when we were both, uh, she was, I was 15 and she was 14. Okay. That's 1957, uh, yeah. Well, we were earlier than that. That was about 56. I was 15, she was 14, right? Okay. And, and, and we all lived in the same neighborhood and stuff. And so we, consequently, everybody would go out with different girls in the neighborhood. Uh-huh. Now, if you if you ventured out of the neighborhood, you do that on your own. You know, you take your life in your own hands. Because yes. a lot of times, there would be some girls I really dug, but they would live in, say, Red Hook Projects. Okay. Couldn't where, go where, there. Where Fort Hamilton is. Okay, yeah. you couldn't go there. Yeah. And <laughs> and so I, well, I shouldn't go there. I see. <laughs> but, I, but, but I did. Okay. <laughs> Me and a bunch of other people chasing after little girls, you know? And so, consequently, I almost got wiped out. <laughs> yeah, it's just, there's one of the things I try to do in the book is be as, as, as accurate as I could. This was Arlene Krieger to help me with the book mm-hmm. and wrote it. Actually, I was telling him our memoirs, and it took seven months. If I were to put everything in that book, what happened to me in my lifetime, then it would be a novel. Gotcha. And that wouldn't work. So there's so much that's missing that, that I would like. I try to put what I thought was important so, so when people read it they can relate to it you know well but you, you, you kid, t- I just was just like any other teenager man I was I, I, I started smoking cigarettes okay and I started drinking wine I just want to be with the boys you know what I mean I just wanted to be accepted in, outside of my parents and my aunts but my parents and aunts were a great place to be too and it was safe it was a safe haven for me but again you couldn't live in that project without having some sort of a, a security blanket, and that's, that's being in the gang. Okay. You talk about in, in the book that by the age of 20, you had three children. Oh, yeah. Oh, now, baby. <laughs> well, you know. Help me out. Like what says in the Bible, <laughs> be, uh, go forth and be fruitful. You well, were I fruitful. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I was a very... I can remember as a small boy, I liked women. I liked ladies. I really did. Even as a small kid, I loved. Remember, I'm around all these women, right? Mm-hmm. All my aunts and all of them, and they're That's doting right. over me. That's right. Right? What's not to like? So I'm, I'm right. <laughs> See, I'm already, everybody, my, 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 my cousin B, she was beautiful, man. And she don't know me. So it was mostly women that were raised me, even though I had brothers. They were much older than me, so I couldn't relate to them. Okay. But I related to, to, the, to the, all the ladies. And um, and so that's where it was, and I was always curious. And I come to puberty, and I'm still curious. And then, you know, kids in those days, man, just like kids today, they find reading material that is not accepted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the <laughs> libido starts popping. And then you figure out, oh, that's what you're supposed to do with girls. Oh, okay. You know? And I guess the little girls felt the same way. And so we would experiment, and then obviously, I, I my first child was 
actually, I, you know what? I'm glad you said that. I just remembered. I was 18 years old okay. when my first child was born. Okay. And uh, it, it, uh, that was, that was um, uh, a young lady uh, named Mary McPherson. Okay. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, is Antoinette, out of that relationship. Now, let me, let me try to explain it. I was already singing. I was already doing well. I was in the Apollo. And the girls, now, these, now it's not girls anymore. It's not women. You see? Okay. But I'm still a young man. But the women start showing up. Okay. And the women, obviously, may think if I can hook up a little young guy, I can make life better for myself. That's right. And some of the old performers were hipping me. No, don't do that. Oh, hey, watch that one. Okay. Hey, watch out for that. Okay. And this young lady came into my life. And she was a couple of years older than me, Mary McPherson, and she was beautiful. And then we had a relationship, and then she got pregnant. And I remember it got, you know, in those days, if you, if a girl got pregnant, you weren't married to her, it was, it was something else. Right. And I remember my father saying, hey, I read the Jet magazine. <laughs> that some, some girl, you got some girl pregnant. Oh, boy. Here we go. That's you how know? Dad found out, reading Jet magazine. Dad, Dad found out, reading Jet magazine. So that was like, what? No, no, that's not supposed to be. You got to get married. You know what I'm saying? And and in the meantime, I'm a celebrity. There are women everywhere. And they're, they're, they're just yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And, and and now this homely kid, this shy kid, it can have any woman he wants. I remember, I remember as a kid, I... I was um, one of my friends. I mean, he was somebody I looked up to, and he was wild. That's Jackie Wilson. Okay. And I used to hang with Jackie Wilson a lot. And everybody knows about Jackie Wilson. And there were women around him. So there so was nothing but women around you. Yeah. And and so I got to that point, and all of a sudden I, I, I find that I really do like women. And that's the problem, but I didn't, I lost what it's supposed to be, the way my family raised me was yeah. not, they didn't raise me that way. Right. But I started, the, the street where I was in, the life that I was in was pulling me in that direction. And the and life... so now I'm, yeah, the... you know, and then, then and, and you know, like, I was very sheltered by my mom, very sheltered. Okay. As a young man. But all of a sudden I'm loose. Wow. And it sounds world. like the life that you were living as a celebrity is the life that other celebrities were living as well. So you were just really kind of Absolutely. fitting in. Okay. I was just I was just mimicking them. Okay. You know? I wanted to be cool too. You know, oh shoot, he's got two women. I want two women too. You know? And that's how it was. Now you know my mother and father didn't care for this. This was rough on them. I was about this to was ask really you rough. how did mom and dad handle this? Oh, they I don't know, man. It, it was like my poor father, man, he was just a gentle man. He wasn't he wasn't a man that was like a disciplinarian. My mother was a disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. My mother was on my case, you know, and she said, the dad said that there's some girls he read in the magazine that you got pregnant. It was all over, all over New York. And that was, in those days, that was really not a good thing. Uh, you no. know, today it's almost like it's, it's commonplace. Well, it's almost you know? expected nowadays. Yeah, it's kind of weird. But then that wasn't the way you do. What you do is you get married. That's what you do. And you have children. And so here I am saying, but why? When I can have all these women anytime I want them. You know what I'm saying? Right. So they came. And then, and the, here's the thing that, that really messed up. My family went crazy. This woman, Antoinette, uh, in fact, I just talked to her the other day. Um, I'm coming to New York. She wants to come to the show. But anyway, her mom, Mary, 
there was no relationship there now. There was nothing. Okay. It was just a, it was a sexual. I didn't feel like, wow, no, I'm not, I, she's dying, she's beautiful, but I don't have a feeling of connection. Okay. So Antoinette was, bo- Antoinette was born. You know, her name is Antoinette Anthony, Antoinette. Gotcha. And, and then finally my mother got to meet the baby, see the baby and my father, so they kind of were really cool about the baby, you know what I mean? So that kind of cooled down, and I, and I said, okay, I'm okay. I turned right around and had an- another affair with my first wife, Judy. But we were kids together. Remember, she was 14, I was 15? Right. At the same time, within that year, she got pregnant. You were busy. And then, too, that was was April. Okay, April, April, May, June, when is uh, August. Then three to four months later, a young lady by the name of Melba Sanchez, Puerto Rican, that I really, 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 really had feelings for, really liked her a lot. A lot of fun with her. To this day, we are dear friends. She's my dearest friend. We've been, we're just friends. We always said we couldn't get married because we'd probably kill each other. <laughs> we both had this strong will, you know? But she ends up getting pregnant four months later. Oh, my. I got, yeah. And now Judy finds out Then Melba you know, it's really, really a woman raised with a fine family, which to this day I'm very close with. You know, all of a brother, a cousin's being being be all them guys. I talk to them all the time. She was in the jam because her father was this. He was he was a merchant marine, a, a Puerto Rican guy. Okay. And and you know, Puerto Ricans is family. You know what I mean? This is not cool. So I got myself in this kind of a jam. You know. And and all these babies in the meantime, my poor mother was under all this stress. I'm sure. But even that, they still loved me unconditionally, and they took my children under their wings. In other words, like my son Andre mm-hmm. used to, and my my son Tony. And isn't the funny thing? My son Tony is my business manager. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> they they used to call my mother Mama because they were around her so much. They thought that was their mother. Interesting. <laughs> Tony, we're going to take you know, a break. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will continue. And, and I'd like to fast forward to more of what's going on in your life today. Folks, mm-hmm. this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk, having a conversation with Anthony Gordine. You know him as Little Anthony, Little Anthony and the Imperials. We'll be right back. Yes, I think I'm going out of my head. Over you. you know, I can see the, the young women and the little girls falling all over themselves after they hear you sing and see you singing that song. You know, it's the, I, when I'm just listening to it, and I'm singing to myself, my gosh, how <laughs> blessed that I am to have worked with Teddy Randall, who wrote all those songs, mm. and with the, the great Don Costa, who is Sinatra's arranger and a producer in many cases. I was very blessed, God. I'm just listening to stuff. And then I'll have people come around. Uh, some, I, don't, I don't know, some disc jockey, some call. Or some somebody will come up to me and say, oh, I just love the way you sing that doo-wop. And I look at them and I say, ma'am, I am not a doo-wop singer. Mm. I don't even know what a doo-wop is. Uh-huh. You know, I'm a contemporary R&B singer. I wasn't put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with a special category for doo-wop. Gotcha. I was put in there as an R&B <laughs> singer. I did not get Right now, I've been. I'm really looking forward to this. Got inducted into the um, Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame, and 
Detroit. Wonderful. And I think the whispers are going in. Aretha Franklin, myself, a bunch of people. You're an excellent so company. Okay. You know, <laughs> my mother once told me, or these keepers of David, they don't know about marriage. Because when we got married, <laughs> it was forever. That's true. <laughs> you know? And that's not, nowadays, if it lasts more than a week, it's a big deal. Jerome, well, yeah, it's I, like you got you to make me, you know, you got to make me feel good. No, I don't. You have to feel good. And I'll, I'll share you, you feeling good and vice versa. You know, it's, it's, it's the wrong way of looking at a relationship. This is a commitment. Yeah. But out of that commitment comes children, and they have children. Mm-hmm. That works. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's not happening today. You, the TV, the radio, all the things, the movies, all telling you just the opposite. That's very you know, true. Constantly, do your own thing, and, and if you if you don't feel it, get you another wife. You ain't never gonna find any peace. Right. You have to make that commitment. I'm going to make this work. And what happens is when you're married, as long as we have, now I don't imagine the not being there. Gotcha. She's just a part of your skin in so many ways. Just a part of me now. It's who I am. It's comforting to have somebody that knows you. Yeah, absolutely. I can be me. You know, it's pretty cool, you know. And uh, so maybe that helps somebody. I don't know. Thank you very much. I, I Again, Jerome Anthony Gordine, known as Little Anthony, Little Anthony and the Imperials. So many of us have grown up on and, and lived on your music and loved your music and continue to do so. And I thank you for sharing not only your music with us today, but the person that you are and how you came to be the man you are today. Thank you so much. Well, bless your heart. Thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation. I'm delighted. And folks, thank you for listening to this edition of Mind Talk. You can listen to this program and all Mind Talk programs on demand at mindtalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. The managing producer is Jim Brown in 26 by 2 Communications. Again, for more information about Mind Talk, you can always go to M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. If you would like to be in touch with me directly, that number is 301-654-5286. And always, always remember, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. Take care.